Grab your Bibles if you have them. Pull out whatever you're reading Scripture on. Pull out your handout that you were given this morning as you, come, as you came in. You can take notes if you'd like. And let's talk about paying it forward. The series is called Chris Moss, the title of the message, Paying It Forward, because God himself paid it forward. He's the first one to give the greatest gift, and in doing so, he was paying it forward. God paid it forward to us so we could receive the greatest gift. And the first point in the, on your outline, if you want to fill it out this morning, the first point of the message is giving is, number one, giving is risky. It's risky. God gave the greatest gift, and he did it when he, when he sent his, his only begotten son so that we could receive him. He did that knowing that he was going to give with no guarantee that we would even receive it, much less respond to it, didn't he? Isn't that amazing to you? It's amazing to me that God would have that kind of love and that kind of generosity that he gives the greatest gift with absolutely no guarantee we're even going to receive it, much less respond to him. He sent Jesus, his only son, to come and seek and save, to love and rescue, to give and serve. Think about it. Jesus goes from the kingdom of heaven, the throne room of God, and he leaves that glory and comes to a stable, a manger. He leaves his deity forever and climbs into a sack of skin just like we have so he could be like one of us. That's amazing to me. That in heaven, he is worshipped by all of heaven. On earth, he serves all of earth. Incredible. That's what the greatest gift is. And God does that with no guarantee we'll respond. In John 3, 16, many of you heard this verse. Even if you've never been in church before, you've probably heard of this verse. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave first his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life so that we could go from death to life. God gave his gift, the greatest gift ever given. For God did not send the son into the world to judge. He could have done that, by the way. He is the creator. And when you create something, you get to do whatever you want to do with it, don't you? But he didn't do that. He didn't come to condemn the world. I love that. I love that verse. He didn't come to condemn. He didn't come to judge. He came to save. The world might be saved through him. God gave us his greatest gift with no guarantee. You know, when I do something for somebody, especially when I give them a gift, I, I always at least have a hope. And sometimes, if I'm honest, I have a little bit of an expectation that they're at least going to receive it. How about you? Is, it, is that the same with you? We're getting ready to give gifts to people this Christmas time, and when you give a gift to someone, when you give a gift to your child or your friend or your spouse or someone you love, don't you have an expectation, at least a hope, that they're going to receive it? I think we all do, don't we? We have a, we have a hope that they'll receive it, that they'll activate it. That they'll, that they'll appropriate it, that, that it'll mean something to them, that it's going to impact who they are and what they're all about. And not only will they receive it, they'll activate it, they'll appropriate it, but they'll respond relationally. 
it's going to have an impact on the relationship. Isn't that the same way with you? Isn't that what you're hoping for, what you're almost expecting when you give a gift? God gave because of his love, but he knew there were great risks involved. 1 John 4, 9 says, By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live. You'll live if you receive it. You'll live if you appropriate it. You'll live if you respond to it. But that he, his, he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, God has a hope that knows no end. That we would receive his love and all of the good gifts and he gives us and appropriate them and use them and enjoy them. He constantly demonstrates his trust that we'll receive appropriate it, experience it, and then it'll have an impact on our relationship. Yesterday, uh, we celebrated our, one of our granddaughters turned two. Yesterday was her second birthday, little Iris. Many of you know little Iris, Lauren and David's little girl, their youngest so far. They'll have another one in, in uh, the end of this month, uh, another little girl coming. So yesterday, we were gathered there as a family in David and Lauren's living room, and and there was a table full of gifts. And Iris was there, and she started opening one of the gifts and unwrapping it. And she got it all, all the wrapping paper off of it finally. And it was just the box. I mean, you still needed to open the box to really see. But there was a picture of what the gift was on the box. And she looked at the picture, and about that time, all the other kids left the room and started playing. And Iris went, I'm out. And she just, she just left the room. <laughs> And all the adults were left in the room going, now what do we do? A table full of gifts. And all she did was just tear the paper off of one of them and bailed. And I just thought, isn't that what we do sometimes? You know, God's given us this amazing, bountiful blessing and generous, amazing, over-the-top gift. And we just kind of, you know, ah, well, whatever. I'm gonna, I got things to do and places to go and people to see, I'm out. Isn't that what we do sometimes with God's amazing generosity? We had to almost drag Iris back into the room and go, no, it's your birthday. You're going to open gifts. We got to take pictures. She finally got into it after the crying. No, I'm, I'm just going to... Um, Giving is risky. You don't always know how somebody's going to respond. You're hoping they'll receive what you have to give. Secondly, giving is rewarding. It's incredibly rewarding, isn't it? It's God's kindness. It's his love. It's the way he has given so amazingly over the top generously to us that leads us to want to love him back. He loved us first. Romans chapter 2 verse 4 talks about the way he changes our thinking. He changes our mind. Listen carefully. It says, or Paul's writing here to the Romans, do you think, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? Do, how do you think about God's riches toward you? How do you think 
about God's kindness? How do you think about God's tolerance toward you? What do you think when you think about those things? Do you think lightly, Paul's saying? See, Paul, or God wants to change our thinking. That's really what repentance means. When we repent, we change our thinking and we slowly turn from the direction we're thinking and moving. We slowly turn to thinking differently and now we're thinking and moving in a different, now we're moving toward God. That's what repentance means. It's to change our thinking. Paul's asking the question and I'm asking you, what do you think about God's kindness and tolerance and generosity toward you? Do you think lightly of it? Do you think it's just no big deal? Or are you amazed by it? Are you incredibly just blown away by the amazing generosity of our God? He goes on to say, not knowing, there we're thinking again, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. This week I watched a video of a guy by the name of Michael Franzese. You may want to write his name down and do some more research on him. There's lots of video out there. You can go to his website. He is a guy who now knows Jesus, but it wasn't always that way. I'd love to invite him to come and share his story with us sometime, and we may do that. But let me tell you a little, a little bit about him. Michael Franzese was one of the made men several years ago in one of the five mafia families in New York City. It was the Colombo family. He talks about how he walked in. I think he was 21 at the time. His father had been in the family, and young Michael was going to be a, a medical student, but his father got uh, convicted of a crime and in prison. So when Michael went to meet him, he said, Dad, I'm not going to let you just sit in here and rot. I'm not going to become a doctor. I'm going to join the family, and I'm going to get you out of here. So he began the process of becoming a part of this mob family. He walked in one night, he and five, or he and four other guys, he was one of five that night that became what is called made men. They held out their hand to the mob boss at the center of the table that night and he cut their hand with a knife and as the blood ran from their hand, it was a blood ceremony, they had to promise that they would give their life if necessary and do whatever it took, whatever was asked of them that they were now owned, they were made, made men in the mob. There were approximately 50 men who became made in that particular mob about that same time frame. Michael went on to become incredibly wealthy. He made more for the mob than anybody has ever made, more money for the mob than anybody in the history of the, that particular family. He made billions with a B billions of dollars. He created a scheme to tax every single gallon of gas and collect that money for the mob. He was on the list of the wealthiest guys in the world for a while. And then he met a girl, a beautiful woman who knew Jesus, and between her and her mother, they prayed him into the kingdom of God. He turned himself in spent nine years in prison and miraculously was able to walk out of prison and away from the mob and is still alive today to tell about it. Those 50 guys who became made men about that same time frame, 46 of them are dead, three of them are, prison, are in prison and he's the only one who is alive, out of prison and now telling his story 
to everyone who will listen about how Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. He said, you know, I just thought I was a made man. Now that I know Jesus, I am definitely a made man. It's an amazing story. So giving has incredible reward too, doesn't it? Speaking of prison ministry and those who are there who used to not serve the Lord but now do, here's one of the ways that the dollars that you give through Greatest Gift get multiplied through the Urban Ministry Institute. That's what T-U-M-I, that's what TUMI stands for. When you give to the Greatest Gift and we support the Urban Ministry Institute in Honduras, we'll, we'll launch a new site in Nicaragua this coming year. And when we give to Dr. Don Davis, who occasionally will come and preach here, Here's what happens. That money gets allocated and multiplied, and there are uh, Toomey sites now in prisons all across the country. Prisons in California are asking Toomey to come and set up a site there because they're watching the way it changes the culture of prisons. Some of the most notorious, dangerous, difficult prisons on the planet are in California. Guys are coming to know Jesus and they're starting to learn and become ministers of the gospel and their guys that are in for life are training the guys that are in for a shorter period of time and the short guys that are in for a shorter period of time are going back to the neighborhoods where they used to be thugs and thieves and, and robbers and bad guys and they're starting churches. Just here, right here, a friend of mine, uh, Pete Oaks has a business at the Hutchinson Correctional Facility in Hutchinson, Kansas and they also start, he also helped start a Toomey site in Hutchinson. Train some of the guys that are in for life. Now they're doing the teaching. Pete told that story. Charles Koch heard about it. And in that setting, the governor of Kentucky heard about what was happening in Hutchinson, Kansas. Asked if he could come and visit. So our governor here, uh, Brownback, decided to join them. And so did Mike Pompeo. They all ended up in Hutchinson Correctional Facility, and the leader who used to be a murderer, who's in for life, who leads to me, said, here, guys, come around, I'll pray for you. So if you're a politician and you want to go somewhere in life, you got to go to jail to get prayed for. Now, what are the chances, what, what is the likelihood that the governor of Kentucky, the governor of Kansas, and the new director of the CIA is going to get prayed for in prison in Hutchinson, Kansas. Isn't that amazing? That's what happens when you give. That's what happens when the kingdom gets expanded. That's what happens when, when guys start to, to study in a seminary in prison. <laughs> Only God can do that. Only God can even think of something like that. Would you think of something like that? Romans 10, verse 11 says, For the Scripture says, Whoever believes in Him will not be disappointed. See, giving has incredible reward, doesn't it? We get to participate in what God's doing, and He gets the glory, but we get the joy. I'll write that down. I should have put that in my notes. He gets the glory, but we get the joy. Isn't that amazing? Verse 12, there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Abounding in riches, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. <laughs> 
God has paid it forward. God has given us the greatest gift so that whoever will respond to him, whoever will call on him and receive what he has will be saved, will be rescued, will be redeemed, will be restored. Yeah. God has rescued us. God has redeemed us. And he rewards us. And we don't deserve any of it. Just look at all the reasons we have to be thankful did you see this platform full of kids and the people who are baptized today? Look at all the reasons we have to be thankful. Look at this warm building. God provided this to us. It just amazes me every time I think about it. God gives us blessing and bounty and, 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 and incredible, with incredible generosity so that we too can be full of grace and goodness and generosity to others. And it's, there's lots of ways to do that. There's need all around us. Just last Sunday, Pastor Marlone was here, as most of you know, and shared his heart and the gospel with us and was incredibly overwhelmed. He wanted me to thank all of you on his behalf and on behalf of his family and the ministry and those who are ministering in Nicaragua. Thank you again from Pastor Marlone and everyone there for your generosity to them. We took Pastor Marlone to lunch after church last week and, I, you know, he is always talking about how he loves good steak because you really can't get a good steak in Nicaragua. And so we took him to the Longhorn, Longhorn Steakhouse, and he ordered shrimp. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, Marlon, you're killing me. But as we were there talking and sharing this meal together and loving a time together with him, um, this this waitress was there waiting on us, doing a fantastic job, just constantly, you know, meeting our needs and asking what we needed. I struck up a conversation with her, had a delightful time just interacting with her, and at the end of our time together, uh, we handed her one of the pay it forward cards, and she said to us, are y'all from a church? And we said, yeah. She goes, I thought so. And then she said, I need a church family. She said, where is your church? We told her where, and she goes, do you have things for kids? Would my children be able to experience a, you know, would, have, would you have something for them? We assured her that we would. Now, my prayer is that Shayla will come, be a part of our family. But we need to be ready for her. We need to be generously giving, so there's a ministry here that, ministers to the lives of children and families and marriages. We need to be an example of what it looks like to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. We need to have the environment prepared for her because it's going to be frightening for her to come to a place where she doesn't know anybody. You realize that? It's going to be uncomfortable for her to come where there's already a family and she's not yet a part of it. She's going to feel like an outsider unless we make her an insider. It's going to take intentionality and generosity and prayer and love and grace. Are you ready for that? Not only for Shayla, but for everyone you meet. That's what we're called to do. That's who we're called to be. And that's why we're called to give with generosity. Over the top, hilarious giving, Paul calls it. God says that he loves a cheerful giver. It really means someone who gives 
with hilarity. Number three, giving builds relationship. God gave us Jesus to begin a relationship. He gave us the Holy Spirit to continue and build a relationship. The Holy Spirit that he's given to us is a deposit on what is to come. It's another part of the greatest gift God's given us. Without the Holy Spirit, we would never have known how to respond to Jesus. And without the Holy Spirit, we don't know how to grow in that relationship. He makes himself known to us. Why? Because he wants a relationship. See, he gave, he took the greatest risk, and he knew the reward if we would respond, and now he gives on an ongoing way for us to be a, in a growing, building relationship with him through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a deposit on what is yet to come. Here, once again, God's paying it forward. In Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians 1, verse 13, Paul writes this, In him, in Jesus, you also, after listening to the message of truth, so after you receive it, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, so you've received it and you've appropriated it, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. There's a relationship now that's established and growing. The Holy Spirit who was given as a pledge, your translation may say deposit, of our inheritance. When there's a deposit, it means there's more to come, doesn't there? It means you've only gotten a portion of what there is. There's going to be more. God has just given you a taste of what is to come. And it's a sign and seal of who you are. He goes on to say, it's a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says it again, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God who also sealed us this relationship with him is sealed as far as he's concerned. It's guaranteed. There is no question. There's no need to wonder about whether you can have assurance of your salvation or relationship with Jesus Christ. God has given you the Holy Spirit so you'll know for sure. So you'll never need to doubt. Isn't that amazing? This is a gift that keeps on giving. He sealed us with a, and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. Paul preaches that message to everyone he encounters. He is sent out, Paul was, to do his missionary journeys. He was sent out by another church, he and Barnabas, to travel throughout Asia and then throughout what is now modern-day Greece to be a missionary. But the form of missionary was, was he was called a shaliach. You want to say that with me? Shaliach. Yeah, get it, kind of get it in your throat a little bit. Just be careful. A shaliach does two things. He is sent out by the church to do th two things. He's sent out to preach the truth of the word of God, and he is sent out to raise money for the poor. See, Paul didn't really set out to plant churches. He just, sent, he just went out, and as he preached the truth of the word of God, churches happened. Because people responded. They received it. They responded. And a relationship was established. And they said, I want my family and friends to know about this. And a church would just explode in their home. That's what happened. 
And then Paul would say to them, there are people who need to know the gospel. There are people who need to know about the kingdom. There are people who are poor, like people who are followers of Jesus in Jerusalem, and they can't get jobs, and they, can't, they can hardly survive because nobody in Jerusalem will give them the time of day. People in Jerusalem are religious Jews. They want nothing to do with anybody who knows or talks about Jesus. One of the most difficult places to live in the first century after Jesus came was Jerusalem as a follower of Jesus. So Paul was raising money to send back to Jerusalem and to other places where people were poor and needed the gospel. See, we're not the first one to do the greatest gift offering. Paul did it all the time. Everywhere he went, he was constantly either writing letters to say, I'm going to come and I'm going to receive an offering from you and I'm going to take it and give it to people who need it. That's what we're doing through the greatest gift. It's the same thing. Paul, Paul's the first one who did this. Let me read an example of this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth just before he goes there, and he's telling them, I'm coming to receive an offering, and I'm going to tell you I'm coming so you won't be embarrassed after I get there. You won't have anything for me. Right? That's really what he's saying. He said, I know you tithe all the time. That's a, that's a different deal. I'm going to come, though, and I'm going to receive an offering, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to give it to people who really need it. This is the greatest gift offering. Paul's doing it as he tells the church in Corinth. Let's read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. It's superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness. In other words, I know you know all about this, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians. I love this about you, and I, tell, I talk about you all the time. He does what I do all the time. I talk about you and how generous you are all the time. Namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year. They've been storing up for a year now. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren, he sent some people on ahead of him, in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. That's why we get prepared every year to do greatest gift offering. Paul's saying to them, I want you to be prepared ahead of time. Verse 4, otherwise... If any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So I'm confident you're going to have an offering for us. I don't want you to be embarrassed, and I don't want you to embarrass me if we get there and you're not ready. Isn't that cool? So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you to arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. I want you to give like you're given the greatest gift so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. So don't be selfish and be careful that you're not wanting something for yourself that you really should be giving away. Because God's going to take what you give and it's going to be like a seed. He's going to multiply it, and there will be an incredible harvest as a result. He says, now I say, speaking of seeds, he says, I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's why we ask you to pray each year about what God would have you to give. Because 
We want the Holy Spirit to be involved in this process, and we want you to give, not under compulsion or out of guilt or anything like that, but because the Holy Spirit is prompting you to give and be generous. Same thing. We're just getting this right out of Scripture. And by the way, just a quick parenthesis, Paul's not talking about tithing here, obviously. He's talking about being generous. He's talking about giving an offering over and above your tithe. And let me just say real, real quick, part of this parenthesis is some teachers of Scripture teach that from this passage of Scripture, tithing has been eliminated in the New Testament. And that's baloney. He's not talking about tithing here. He's talking about giving generously over and above for the poor. He's talking about offerings. There's a difference between tithes and offerings. Tithe automatically belongs to God. In fact, we don't give our tithe. We return our tithe to God. We just give it back to Him because it belongs to Him. But with an offering, we give that. He says, now don't give grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's that word, hilarious. Verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. <clears throat> you know, I've had a lot of people say to me over the years, you can't possibly outgive God. I'd just like to know, how many of you know that from experience? Would you just raise your hand? Just know, I, I, I know already from experience I can't outgive God. I, I first heard, thank you, I, heard, I first heard somebody say that years and years ago as I was preparing for ministry. The guy's name was Gene Pontius. He lived in Florida and got involved in the real estate business in the early 70s, which was a really good time to get involved in the real estate business in Florida. He said, you know, I decided as I became a follower of Jesus, I decided I would just see if I could outgive God. And I told him one day, God, I'm going to try to outgive you. He said, that was a foolish thing to say. He said, I found out you can't outgive God. Uh, before Gene Pontius passed away just a couple of years ago, he was worth over $100 million. And he, still, he was still trying to outgive God. <laughs> he was just giving away millions, tens of millions. But he started by just being generous with what God provided him. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel here. I'm not saying, you know, give to get. Please hear me. That is not the message. I am saying you can't outgive God. You give to give, not give to get. God's already given. And so we, like him, do what he does. And his blessings overflow. Giving is risky, but it's also very rewarding, and it builds relationship, relationship with God, relationship with one another, and that's what life is all about. Would you bow your heads with me as the worship team comes? <clears throat> if you're here this morning and you need to receive the greatest gift, if you would say, you know, Pastor, I'm here and I know that I need grace 
and I need forgiveness, and I need God's greatest gift for me. I need to know God. I want to be in relationship with God. And if that's you, let's start there. If you're here this morning and that's you, would you raise your hand right now and say, I, want, I need God's gift. I need God's grace. I want to know God personally. Would you just raise your hand? Thank you. Praise God. Anyone else here this morning would say, that's me. I need to, need to know God. I need to take that step. Amen. Praise God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your amazing grace that knows no end, knows no limit, that is no respecter of persons, that is available for all men and all women. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you that you always give, waiting for us to respond. And when we respond, you embrace us, you adopt us, you make us your own. You call us your sons and your daughters. Pour out your blessing on these who have said yes to you today. Help them to walk in freedom. Help them to walk in your grace every moment of every day. To know your presence. To be assured of the steps and the confident grace that they can have in you. Father, for all of us now, as we give this greatest gift offering, as we return to you our tithes, would you take those resources and multiply them for your glory? Would you take this offering, receive it from us, and use it for your purposes here locally and around the world to impact and change and transform hundreds, thousands, even millions of lives? And Lord, use our time and our talent and our life to be multiplied for your glory. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen.